This is an SM Media production. Hi everyone and welcome to episode two of Chronicle the Rangers Journey. I'm Scott McPike. It's an absolute pleasure to be your host on this show. We are going to take a look at 1986 to 1988, the Sunnis shift. What happens when Graham Sunnis arrives at Ibrooks like a whirlwind and <laughs> takes over the club, leading them on to greatness, which would go on for the next 12 years. Joining me on this part of the journey is the renowned author who has written biographies in the likes of Mark Hately and David Robertson, Alistair Aird. Alistair, it's an absolute pleasure to welcome you onto the show. Thanks for joining me on this part of the journey. No problem, Scott. Thanks for inviting me on. It's an absolute pleasure. We obviously start this journey last week when we talked about the need for revolution, the need for change. For eight years, yeah. we spoke in 1978 when Jock Wallace left. The 1986 Rangers didn't win a league. They went through the kind of John Gregg experiment, which just didn't really work out. Jock Wallace come back, and obviously we, we know how it went. Alistair, how big was that need for revolution, and where do we kind of stand in April 1986? How big is that need for a hero? It was massive. Um, I think Rangers at that time, um, as you alluded to, Ibrox was going through reconstruction, um, so... John Greggs inherited a, um, an aging squad, squad, a squad of players that he played with as well. Um, and he's got to replace the likes of Alex McDonald and Sandy Jarvin, a huge task for him. Um, and by April 1986, Rangers had become pretty much a cup team. Um, they were riddled with inconsistency in the league. They couldn't seem to string together um, the type of consistent run of results that you need to challenge for the title. And come April 86, it wasn't just a case of um, being second to Celtic, um, which, as we know, um, isn't something that Rangers supporters tolerate. Mm -hmm. But they weren't just second to Celtic come April 86. Hearts were pushing for the title. Aberdeen and Dundee United were, uh, were in front as well. And Rangers were struggling come the tail end of 1985-86 to even qualify for Europe for 86-87, so huge that there needed to be something significant. The window change needed to come in and blow pretty strongly through the yeah. corridors at Ibrox Stadium. And it absolutely did. We spoke last week, obviously, about David Holmes coming in, part of the kind of Lawrence. He was kind of a Lawrence employee, but he was yeah. into the club to kind of the boardroom revolution that we'll kind of touch on later on before, obviously, that the whole thing is the kind of main subject of this story is the the David Murray revolution that we'll touch on that, that goes, goes well and then goes badly, but April 1986, the announcement's made that it's going to be the world-class player, Graham Souness, will be the new Rangers manager, player manager. Mm -hmm. he, he will take over at the end of the season towards 86, 87. Alistair, that immediate buzz that we've, obviously, we've, we've seen you know, everybody talk about it, the remembering what happened round about that time. What was the kind of reaction to, to Souness at, at that time and how big was this announcement? I think it was huge because, as you've alluded to there, this is a guy who's won the European Cup with Liverpool three times, captained Liverpool 
um, to the last of those three European successes. Been out in Italy as well. Um, Scotland international, Scotland captain at that time. Um, and all of a sudden he becomes Rangers' first ever player manager. And I think at that time we did need someone with a bit of clout behind him. Um, going back a wee bit to, to when John Gregg resigned in, in, in October 83, obviously there was a lot of talk about um, Alex Ferguson coming in from Aberdeen. He signed a new contract with Aberdeen, then Jim McLean on the verge coming in. But at that time, I don't think either of the two of them, with the greatest to respect them, had the same um, reputation in the game as what Graham had. Um, so it didn't just ruffle feathers within, um, within Ibrooks. I think throughout Scottish football, people sat up and took notice that David Holmes had pretty much delivered as he'd promised, I think he came in November 85 and he'd um, asked to be given six months to affect a change. And within that six-month period, he'd obviously decided that um, it was the end of the road for uh, the end of the road for Joe Walsh, which was unfortunate. Obviously, Jock had a huge success in that first spell at, um, at Rangers and he hadn't quite managed to get that kick on in his second spell. Uh, but at that time, uh, we needed someone of with Graham's... Um, reputation, if you like, to come in um, and do what he did over that um, period of time. Yeah, and obviously as well, the, kind of, the, the thing with Graham soon is we know, he's a, we know he was a top-class player, a Scotland captain, European Cup winner. He hadn't kicked a ball in Scottish football. He hadn't played at that Scottish league and the kind of thing was, how would he adapt? How would he adapt to that kind of cutthroat industry that we all know Scottish football is and it still is to this day? Mm-hmm. He goes out and they get a man who knows Scottish football to come in and sort of be a kind of protector. Is that fair to say? Obviously, Walter yeah. Smith was had been with Jim McLean at Dundee United, had worked under Jim McLean, led them to a European Cup semi-final, a UEFA Cup final, a league title. Walter Smith coming in, was that a sign that Sunnis had a, had a man there to kind of talk him through how brutal Scottish football could be and how to kind of adapt to this new surrounding? I hundred percent. I think we'll we'll obviously go on to speak about Teddy Butcher and Chris Woods and Graham Roberts and the significance of those three signings in particular. But I think Graham would probably admit himself that um, on reflection, his best ever signing as Rangers manager was Walter Smith. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think he would have. I mean, obviously, there were there were some times over like over the period where it, it was quite volatile, and Graham himself, I think. Um, had that volatility about him, but Walter was very much a calming influence. I think he was, he was a good lieutenant, if you like. Um, and having that knowledge of the Scottish game, I think probably when Graham was getting a wee bit carried away, I can imagine the two of them sitting uh, within the sort of inner sanctum and having a chat. And Walter um, sort of pulling Graham back a wee bit and keeping him on, a, on an even keel. And obviously for Rangers at that time, but particularly the way the season started. Um, Graham's first season um, I think having Walter there was massive and um, having him even as a sounding board as well um, I, as I said I think um, Walter Smith has to stand out as Graham's best ever signing or, or certainly the best decision that he ever made as Rangers yeah, manager I think that's absolutely fair I think that's I think we'll, we'll all agree on that but one thing that's kind of in unison with this whole kind of revolution that we see is the year before, the English clubs had been banned from Europe, obviously due to the the Heisel incident, and yeah. there was this obviously appeal that would then obviously come on about the 
the English clubs and English players want to test themselves at that level that obviously couldn't for the next five years, six six years in Liverpool's case. But was there a feeling at that point that this could potentially open the door for kind of Rangers to attract some English players before we kind of see, as you say, we'll touch on who Soonest brings in, but was there this thing before that that this could potentially be a wee opening? Um, I don't think so. Uh, if you look at who... Um, if you go back to start 85, 86 and who Jock Wallace was rumoured to be bringing in or wanted to bring in it was like Sir Craig Levine and Gordon Jury mm-hmm. who were playing in Scotland um, I don't think Rangers would have managed to attract irrespective of the ban in Europe I don't think Rangers would have attracted the same calibre of player had it not been for Graham I think Graham's influence and Graham's reputation in the game was was a significant way um, or had a significant swing when it came to the negotiations with these players um, obviously the board at that time probably loosened the post strings a wee bit if you remember back um, Rangers captain John McClelland um, he left in 1984 and he left because he's um, of a very strict wage structure at that time at the club um, I think David Holmes came in and, and realised that that wage structure had to go in order to, to attract the other players but um, I don't think it was necessarily money has been a um, the sort of decisive factor for these guys coming up. I think it was Graham, and I think without them, had it not, or, or without Graham, I don't think we would have attracted that caliber of player. Mm-hmm. The first signing of the Soonest Revolution, Colin West. This this obviously kind of leads to what we'll talk about in kind of future episodes. That Soonest wanting a target man, yeah. And Colin West was obviously the first signing, but the first big signing is obviously. Terry Butcher, the centre half from Ipswich, played at the 1986 World Cup. Was yeah. we we know obviously Terry Butcher. The the first sign the first sign also I want to touch on is Butcher. How big a signing was that? How big a statement was bringing in a man like that to the to looking at orchestrate the defence? If you're looking for the cornerstone of that Rangers revolution or the rebirth of Rangers, it's Terry Butcher and the signing of Terry Butcher. Um, as much to do with the statement that it's making that. Rangers, who finished fifth in the league in 1985-86, didn't win any of the Cups, had only won a couple of League Cups and a couple of Scottish Cups since um, doing the treble in 77-78, have all of a sudden attracted the first pick at centre-back for England. Um, He's turned down Manchester, or there's been approaches from Manchester United. Um, I've spoken to Terry a couple of times at the 86 World Cup. Brian Robson was speaking to him and basically saying, look, Manchester United or Ron Atkinson's interested in you yeah. um, and he's knocking back big guns in England to come to Rangers um, and you look at the stats for 85-86 the biggest thing in that season was the defence um, or we had Ali McCoy's finished the season as top goal scorer in the Premier Division so scoring goals wasn't the issue so yeah. um, I think Graham identified very very quickly that he had to shore up the defence and that's no disrespect to the centre-backs that Rangers had at that time but Terry Butcher was um, pivotal to what happened going forward Yeah and then the next signing as well we've got you look at that 86 World Cup squad for England and you've Peter Shelton's obviously number one but number two is Chris mm-hmm. Woods and Soonest gets, soonest gets his man, and how I'm not again. We'll we'll touch on this. This starts a range of legendary goalkeepers that we see for the next kind of even to now, even to this day. We still yeah. we still see how Rangers have always got good goalkeepers. But Chris Woods, how how big a, a statement was that as well to bring in the the future England goalkeeper, second choice to Peter Shelton. He takes over from Shelton towards yeah. the end of '86. Like 
this is a this is a proper top class goalkeeper. Yeah, similar to what we were saying about the centre back position, the goalkeeper, um, or the goalkeeper at Rangers had been in a had been a bit of a state of flux as well. Um, Peter McCloy had obviously been there since since 1970, had been in and out the team advancing in years at that time. Um, Jim Stewart had come in, Nicky Walker had come in, but none of them had really strung together that kind of, uh, or, or had that sort of commanding presence uh, that, that Chris Woods offered. Um, and you mentioned the quality of goalkeepers that Rangers have had since then. The fact now that we're sitting 30 odd years later and Chris Woods is probably still in the top five Rangers goalkeepers in the post-war era, certainly. Yeah. I think that says as much about the influence that Chris Woods had um, or, or the impact that Chris Woods had at that time. And obviously it's the summer is, I would imagine any Rangers fan from that time will probably be as, as an exciting as summer as you can get. But the 9th of August, it's, it all starts with a, a trip to Easter Road against Hibs and Alistair, is it fair to say it's a volatile game? As soon as his, as soon as his debut in Scottish football he's sent off for that tackle with George McCluskey in the centre circle which just turns into a complete melee yeah, was that a kind of? Do you think that was a welcome to Scottish football thing for Sooners? Think that was that's how that ended up. I think there's a couple of ways to look at it. Um, I think with the benefit of hindsight, if Graham was to go back to the 9th of August 1986, I don't think he would have picked himself. I think he would maybe have put yeah, himself on the bench yeah, and got a feel for it at that time. Uh, but he was very headstrong, um, and I think he kind of went against Walter's advice and played in the game. Um, Obviously, he got himself involved with George McCluskey and gets himself sent off. And then everybody gets involved. I think everybody, with the exception of Alan Ruff, ended up with a retrospective yellow card. Yeah, that's right, yeah. um, so that was, it obviously wasn't the way that David Holmes envisaged that era starting. But by the same token, there was, there was a bit of solidarity in there. Graham could then see that the players had his back. Essentially, everybody sort of rounded in Graham at that time and everybody sort of weeded in. Even the guys like Woods and Butcher, who were only just in the door, I think um, Teddy made his debut against um, Bayern Munich only a few days before that. Mm -hmm. um, but the fact that everybody was prepared, yes, it wasn't, wasn't particularly pleasant. It wasn't the, it wasn't the type of behaviour that you'd necessarily like to see. But by the same token... Everybody was there and fighting. And I think that's something, that sort of fight, that sort of get up and go was something that had been lacking in, um, in previous Rangers squads. That sort of um, get into the trenches and fighting on all fronts. Um, and obviously kicking on for there. Uh, but not a particularly pleasant start. But with the benefit of hindsight, I think a lot of the, um, the main protagonists that day might have done things slightly differently at the other time again. I think as well, obviously, we're, we're touching on obviously this start and McCoy, you've got us, you've got a core there. Obviously, Soonest does yep. pull a lot of players that like, like, we'll touch on kind of a few players that he kind of keeps on, like Sir Durant, McCoy, kind of Robert Fleck, David Cooper's there as well, that, that have a big impact. Like mm -hmm. that although we kind of talk about this era as a, a complete kind of start up and revolution from the start, it does keep those kind of those kind of yeah. young Scottish players is that what do you what do you kind of think of that Jinky saw that they had the potential to kind of go on and do great things at that club. Um, by all accounts, um, I think we we it was either game against Clyde Bank or game against Mum towards the end of eighty five eighty six. Bob Paisley uh, attended the game 
Um, and he was pretty ruthless when it came to his assessment of the, the squad. I think Cooper and McCoy were the only two that he mentioned. And I think Graham came in towards the end of 85, 86 and had a look around. And I think he could see the potential that everybody else could in Durant. Mm-hmm. So it was understandable that he was going to hold on to these guys. But beyond that, I think out with those three, everybody else, with the exception of the guys that he was bringing in, were pretty much mm-hmm. under the spotlight um, and were, were pretty much fighting for their jerseys. Um, but you could understand why he kept them in. I mean, Cooper was was just magnificent. Probably one of the best left foots that, um, uh, that Scottish football has ever seen. But he'd lost his way. Um, particularly under John Gregg um, came back to prominence under Jock Wallace latterly but he was he most certainly found himself on another level playing playing with the likes of Butcher and Woods and mm-hmm. uh, Graham Roberts and guys like that and uh, McCoy was always going to score goals at a very very difficult start 83, 84, 84, 85 in particular but he had showed that he had that mentality as well um, and Durant as I said up to his injury was probably the best box to box midfielder in the country um, at that time. So you could understand why Graham kept them on. But the rest of them, uh, I think, would probably be living week to week in terms of is he going to bring in somebody to replace me or alternatively is he going to leave me out? Um, so, yeah, huge competition for places. And obviously the, the the start to that season is kind of up and down. You've got defeats, the, the opening day defeat to Habs and then the day United. Two nil up and then lose three two at home, but yep. I kind of we run keeps going. Apart like when you get to kind of October and the league cup, the league cup final against Celtic at Hamden, that's that kick starts this whole thing. Is that fair to say that two one one Duran for getting the penalty? That's that's the sign that this is something different. Do you agree? I think that's probably when the top, the, the corner was turned, but the one at Ibrox at the end of August when um, Cooper plays the the wonderful no-look reverse pass yeah. for Durant to get through and score. I think that was huge as well um, because, as you said, really uneven start to the season. Mm-hmm. Beat the Easter Road in day one, squeezed through a penalty from McCoyst against Falkirk in the second game. Um, by all accounts, first 60 minutes, 70 minutes against the United at home, absolutely fantastic. Blew them away, but still lost the game 3-2. So I think the game at the end of August at Ibrox was huge. But yeah, um, in terms of actually making that statement and um, turning the corner we, it, as much as I've said we were a cup team up until then we we hadn't been a cup team with the exception of 83-84 that were beating Celtic in the final and making that and making that statement in the final against Celtic the fact that Graham didn't play in the game as well mm-hmm. um, I think showed that we weren't reliant you obviously talked about the sort of common core within the team the, the sort of spine running down for Woods and Butcher and, and Sunnis and McCoys we we weren't reliant necessarily in Graham. We had other players that could step in to the breach as required. But yeah, that that final probably was the moment where the Rangers fans and probably some of the um, the nearest challengers went, uh, Rangers are actually looking serious. They, they, they've kind of got the business heads on this year and they are going to be up for a challenge and it's not just going to peter out in January or February. Um, they're actually going to sustain it this time. And they had had the signing of Graham Roberts from Tottenham Hotspur as well. What was what was the kind of reaction to that at the time? Was that a, another kind of thing to boost this defence? Who were who did kind of one thing about them? There's not many clean sheets that you look at that start to that season. Was that noticeable at the time? 
I think Graham Roberts was probably the final piece of the jigsaw. Mm-hmm. Um, we had obviously Terry Butcher playing centre back. You guys like Dave McPherson in there who had a fantastic season. He played forty two of the forty four league games. Um, you had guys like Stuart Monroe as well. But just again, as much as Graham Roberts wasn't necessarily the seasoned international player that Terry Butcher was, he'd won the UEFA Cup with Spurs. Yeah. Um, he was a first pick for Spurs. And again, here's a guy who's saying, I've got options, probably got options in England. I can stay in the first division in England, but I'm not I'm going to come up to Scotland. And I remember, I think it was his debut against Indy United, he threw in the goalkeeper, Billy Thompson, 50-50 ball. Um, ball breaks off the goalkeeper, McCoy scores to make it 2-0. And that, again, just showed that that guts, that determination, that mentality that, that had been lacking. And um, I final piece of the jigsaw for me, Graham Roberts. And in the kind of boardroom at this point, do we do we see the kind of influence that David Holmes is making? Like, do we see the change that I think was was in, was apparent the minute he walked in the door and just made it more of a modern club that obviously Murray would kind of take yeah. on two years later? But was that was a noticeable at that point that there was something different? Kind of the culture was changing. I, I don't think there's any doubt that the culture that the club had changed. I've been spoken to guys who, who sort of bridged the, um, both eras, if you like. Um, what Graham did, talked about diet and all that kind of stuff. But he came in and um, prior to Graham coming in, it used to be a case of he would wear the same training kit each day. He, he would come in after training, he would get hung up and you'd mm-hmm. wear the same kit the next day. But Graham brought in fresh training kit. He brought in rules, regulations, just to tighten things up a wee bit. Um, and he did, I think he had the full support of the board at that time. There may well have been elements on the board who thought it was a, a huge risk, understandable. I don't think you get unanimous support mm-hmm. for a decision like that when Graham's got no managerial experience, as you said earlier, he's got no experience of playing in Scottish football. It was a risk, but I think come the turn of the year, particularly when Rangers beat Celtic 2-0 um, in January, Robert Fleck, McCoy scoring the two goals. Graham absolutely running the show, dictating the game. That was probably the moment where if there was any doubt and Thomas is left on the board, then they had any doubts erased that day. The Rangers were, were heading in the right direction. I think by the end of January, hit the top of the league for the first time that season. And that was it. That was um, onto the home straight thereafter. Um, yeah. To bring the title back. yeah, and obviously you say there about that one over Celtic in ja- the first of January. It's it's Samuel's in between this magnificent records that Chris Wood goes record that Chris Wood goes on <coughs> of so many minutes without conceding a goal. And yeah. as you say that that win that the kind of the win over Celtic in the first of January and the the kind of run that Rangers go on to go top of the league that they don't really kind of falter on, but. One thing that potentially could have happened was a, a potential treble. Mm-hmm. Uh, Rangers take on Hamilton at home on the 31st of January. Chris Woods is on this magnificent record, but Adrian Sprott has different ideas and stops that record going and Rangers suffer an exit that I think I think it's one of those big big surprises you can look back on. That yeah. The 31st of January, what was your kind of thoughts on that day? That exit? Think- was that a black or was it kind of one of those oh, kind of oh, anger? Like, 100%. I think um, if you look back on um, reports in the game in particular, David McKellar, who eventually came to Rangers, yeah. um, the Hamilton goalkeeper that day, I think he had, he had an absolutely worldy. Everything that came at him, he was, he was either turning it around the post or 
um, or holding on to it, coming out and, and taking crosses. He just did a magnificent game, and it was just one of these days where no matter how hard Rangers tried, no matter how hard any of the players on the team tried, um, they weren't going to score. And if that's the, if you find yourself in that circumstance, it only takes one mistake, one lapse in concentration at the back, and that's what happened when Adrian Sprott scored. But there's a huge amount of hullabaloo at the time. Uh, I think people were referring back to um, 1967 when Rangers lost to Barrett Rangers, and yeah. after that, Jim Forrest and George McLean never played for the club again. Jettisoned it was the same fate going to befall McCoy and Fleck because they hadn't scored that day. But then the following weekend, I think we went to Tynecastle and won five two. And that, if anything. To answer the question of was it a blip, I think that clearly illustrated it was a blip because this is a heart side that had heartbreakingly for them lost out in the title in the last day of the previous season. So they weren't any mugs at that time. Mm-hmm. The Rangers on the back of losing to, to Hamilton in the Scottish Cup, go to their backyard and beat them 5 2, beat them convincingly. Mm-hmm. Um, and it didn't, I think it was a bump in the road, but I don't think it was ever likely to derail what was becoming a very, very um, fast paced charge for the championship. Mm-hmm. Let's see, obviously, the, the 19 match unbeaten run. Like Rangers go on in the league before that defeat to Celtic in April 87 at 3 1 at Parkhead. Yeah. Like, was that, was there a feeling after that game that although Rangers do have a lead in the, the title race, that it could all fall apart from here? Was that in anybody's mind? I don't think so. Um, I think it was Dave McPherson that identified there was two games within, I think, four days in Dundee. Uh, one at Dens Park against Dundee and the other one at Tannadice against mm-hmm. Dundee United. Rangers won both games. Yeah. And as much as Dundee weren't pushing for the title, a real bogey team for Rangers, mm-hmm. uh, particularly sort of 84, 85, 85, 86, Rangers just couldn't seem to buy a win against them. Uh, and Dundee United have obviously spoken about uh, European Cup semi-finalists 83, 84, Champions 82, 83, um, and, and heading towards the UEFA Cup final in 86, 87 as well. But within those four days, Rangers go to both stadiums and record a victory. Mm-hmm. Um, and that they, they came just before the Celtic defeat, but I don't think there was any, uh, again, kind of similar to Hamilton, as much as it was um, it was a blow to lose that game. Um, it was the first time I think Graham had lost a game against Celtic as well. Mm-hmm. I don't think there was any sort of danger of there's going to be a big fall in the home street. There's going to, Rangers are going to trip up. Um, and then obviously... Ironically, Dundee the following week play at home. Rangers win two 0 um, and I think they only lost. They only managed. They, they only conceded one goal in the games that that followed after that. So, um, bit of fall off the horse, but they got back on fairly quickly and um, uh, managed to get themselves across the line, which was uh, fantastic. Yeah, I mean the next after that Celtic defeat, three wins, and it's all heading into this game at Pataudry. <laughs> A point will secure the championship, the first championship since 1978. As soon as plays that game, <laughs> doesn't finish it. He gets yep. sent off. And the the one thing that sticks out when you look at this is that when Soonis is running off the park and you see Walter Smith walking by him yep. down that tunnel, that's I can't imagine that was a pleasant conversation after that. No, I think it's been another one similar to the opening day of the season where Walter said, Look, you you're gonna have to keep it calm. It's one of the most the testy matches probably outside the old firm games going to Pataudry difficult venue and given what was at stake we you can imagine what saying we need to keep 11 players in the park mm-hmm. and then Graham gets himself ordered off um, 
uh, and you're thinking, given Rangers' record at Petodre as well, I don't think I don't think we won there since 1982, mm-hmm. um, so never an easy place to go. Um, but managed to get herself across the line. Th- thanks to we I mean, mentioned David Cooper earlier, his pinpoint and perfect yeah, a delivery yeah, as you're ever going to see with his left foot. And ironically, mentioned Terry being the cornerstone of this rebirth. He's the one that plants the header in the corner of the net. And as much as Brian Irvine equalised, I don't think Rangers were, were ever in any danger, even with 10 men, are losing at Pataudry that day. And then news filters through that Falkirk have beat Celtic at Parkhead and it's party time. Mm-hmm. And that, obviously, that relief of that that whole time of not winning a championship, just you see that with them running on the park. And obviously, but you see it in Soonish and Smith, they're, they're both round the park, they're holding mm-hmm. each other. This is a... This is a groundbreaking thing. This is the this is that paradigm shift we talk about. This is the yeah. change that they were they were looking for, and they do it within a season. Yeah, I mean, mentioned there it was there were elements of the board that probably thought it was a risk. It was a risk for Graham as well. Yeah, absolutely. Graham, was, Graham didn't need to leave Sampdoria. Mm-hmm. He'd done his he'd done what he needed to do with Liverpool. He was getting towards the end his his time with Scotland as well. He could quite easily have played out his career in Italy and enjoyed himself in Italy. He needed that challenge. He needed to come in, and um, I, I don't know if there was a time scale. I mean, there's a lot of parallels drawn between Graham's time and Stephen Gerrard's time, yeah. and obviously it took Stephen Gerrard a bit longer. I don't know if Graham had the same kind of time scale that had been mapped out by David Holmes, but certainly to to do it in the manner that Rangers did within that first season, uh, you could. As you said, you could see how much it meant to the players, how much it meant to the supporters, and how much it meant to, to Graham and Walter as well. Mm-hmm, absolutely, yeah. And obviously, it's a, a championship, and we'll move into the summer of 1987. There's, is it fair to say, there's just a few kind of we think we kind of loose ends to tie up just mm-hmm. to build a proper yeah. good team and get into yeah. that summer? What's the, what's, your, what's the kind of thoughts of the, the kind of soonest and things like that? What do you think it is just a case of? A couple more, and we can go on a real run here. I, I and if anything, probably squad players, because if you look at you've got Chris Woods who made <laughs> one thousand one hundred uh, one thousand one hundred ninety six minutes without conceding a goal. Yeah. But you've got Butcher there. You've got um, obviously we sold Dave McPherson in the summer, even though Dave had, uh, Dave had a particularly consistent season. You have Graham Roberts, you have Geraint, you've got Cooper. And as much as Graham coveted a target man, Colin West gets injured early on at his five, yeah. but Robert Flett comes in. And Robert Flett was on the verge of going to Dundee for 25 grand. Yeah. And he comes in and strikes up a fantastic partnership with McCoy. So you're thinking, well, we've got we've got a good front two. We're playing 4 4 2 at that time. So yeah, a wee bit of tinkering and tailoring. And you're not just looking at a challenge or the, the goal of retaining the title or potentially winning the treble, you're looking at a good shot at the European Cup as well. Absolutely, yeah. And obviously Rangers will go back in at the European Cup. We'll touch on that in a few minutes. But Richard Goff comes in from Tottenham Hotspur, a club record free of 1.5 million. I think it's fair to say that this is a, a weird one. Obviously Goff had only been at Tottenham for a, a year. Yeah. I think soon as he wanted him the year previously and yeah. I think the day United didn't want to sell. But getting Goff in originally as a right-back, I think soon as always kind of wanted a right-back and Mm. Goff was another kind of big one, wasn't he? Like club record fee at the time. This was another big statement that we're going for something else here. Yeah, huge. Um, I think you're right. I think when it came to both on his defence the previous season, 
when he started out, there was no secret. I think um, £650,000 was talked about in terms of the bid that went to the United for Richard Croft. Mm-hmm. But Jim McLean was adamant that Croft would join another Scottish club. Um, I think Richard wanted to join Rangers at that time, but then went down south. Um, again, I've spoken to Richard when he found out in the October 87 that Graham was interested. He'd just signed a five-year contract with Spurs, so it wasn't as if he was yeah. using that year at Spurs as some sort of leverage, as some sort of opportunity to get to Rangers event. Eventually, he was happy there, but again, Graham used his powers of persuasion. And um, if Terry Butcher was the cornerstone, um, then the one to build upon that cornerstone was the signing of Richard Goff because he goes on, eventually becomes captain, captain for nine in a row. Um, and as much as he started off as a right back, when he moved into centre back, when Terry broke his leg, um, I think the partnership he had with Graham Roberts that season was excellent. Yeah. And later on in that that season, Ray Wilkins and Mark Walters come in. Ray Wilkins, obviously a, a top class player, just coming to the kind of tail end of his career, but he could still obviously do it. Mark Walters, obviously coming from Aston Villa. This is like, these are two other these are two more big signings and capitalising that English market. And yeah, the soonest the soonest appeal that I think he has. I don't. I think as you say, they they are they're not coming for other reasons than no. to what the soonest. No, definitely not. Um... I think the Ray Wilkins signing, um, the influence that he had in the likes of Durant and Derek Ferguson yeah. was huge. So Graham's motivation when he went to PSG and spent the 250k and Ray Wilkins wasn't necessarily what Ray Wilkins was going to bring on the park. I think a lot of it was to do with, with what Ray would bring off the park, obviously. I've been at AC Milan for a number of years and played for Manchester United, played for Chelsea. Um, he, he could almost be Graham's boots in the ground well, here's the manager coming in saying we need to do this, this and this. But Ray was an example of just just how long you could make your career last and how how long you could play at the top if you looked after yourself. Um, and both Durant and, and Ferguson have said how huge um, an influence Ray, Ray Wilkins was on, on their careers because I think both of them, as young kids at that time, were prone to going down wrong roads and whatever. And, yeah. Sometimes it took Ray Wilkins just sitting down with them and kind of pointing, pointing out the obvious. Um, in terms of Mark Walters, I think David Cooper obviously was was fantastic, 86, 87, but he was getting to that stage of his career where um, he wasn't going to play every week. Um, so some someone on the left-hand side, um, I think, was was a must at that time. We talked about sort of tinkering and tailoring, um, and Mark Walters come in, and um, if MD was going to step into the breach left by David Cooper and it was going to be Mark Walters because, again, he um, he brought something, he enhanced the team. Um, he enhanced what was already a very, very strong squad. Mm-hmm. The start of that season does not go well. Mm-hmm. Three defeats to, away to Hibs, Aberdeen and Celtic within five games. Is there already yeah. kind of worries at that point that this is going to be, this isn't going to be the kind of fun of last year? Um, not necessarily because as much as um, the number of points dropped wasn't the same as it had been at the start of 86, 87, 86, 87 had they started well yeah. um, and as we mentioned it was only really after the League Cup victory over Celtic that it kicked on the 19 match unbeaten run etc so I don't think there was any cause for panic at that time um, obviously Celtic were were galvanised by the fact it was a centenary year they'd been knocked off their perch and whatever so yeah. they were always going to be a formidable challenge that season but at that stage, when we lose at Parkhead, Billy Stark scores, Graham gets sent off again. Mm-hmm. I don't think it was a case of reaching for the panic button. Um, but a month or, or a couple of months later, we play Aberdeen midweek. 
um, Terry Butcher breaks his leg, that's the turning point. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Had Terry Butcher stayed fit, had Terry Butcher not broke his leg, I'm still convinced that Rangers would have done 10 in a row before 10 in a row was even talked about. Um, because losing Terry that season, as much as I mentioned that Richard Goff moves in one from right back to centre back alongside Graham Roberts, the influence that Terry Butcher had on and off the park, even after just one season, was so significant that losing them for that, I mean, essentially at that time, a, a leg break ruled you out for the season. So we knew in November that Terry Butcher wasn't going to play again. Yeah. It probably cost us, well, it, it most certainly cost us the title and probably cost us a, a better opportunity to beat Stoyer Bucharest in the quarterfinals of the European Cup as well. Yeah. The winner, the, the result against Dynamo Kiev as well, we need to we think about Dynamo Kiev at this point, mm. a top-class team. Winning that, winning that first round, beating the the champion, the Soviet champions, and they were a formidable opponent. To do that was a massive statement in the first European Cup game in mm. I think it was nine years. Yes, I um, I <clears throat> in seventy eight, seventy nine, we made the quarterfinals as well, lost to Cologne. Yeah, right. um, but that's a that's the famous night we we go to the Soviet Union, lose one nil. Um, ironically, future Rangers player Alexei Mikhailichenko scores the penalty kick. Yeah. So you're thinking right. We're coming back to Ibrox against the Soviet champions. We need to score twice without losing a goal. And Graham becomes very, very cute. He recognised that um, one of the significant threats that Dynamo Kiev had was in the wider areas. Yeah, so he put the touchlines in. Yeah. And he, he narrowed the pitch, kept it within UEFA regulations, narrowed the pitch. And the, Rush, uh, the Soviets recognised it. And I think psychologically that had an impact. I don't necessarily think that... Um, had they not recognised it, it may well have not had the same impact. But I think when they trained at Ibrox the night before the game, they recognised that Graham had done this. So that was in their heads. Um, but what a noise that night. Incredible yeah. atmosphere. Um, Victor Chanov makes the mistake, throws it out and hits Sergio Botach. McCoy knocks it to Falco to, to knock it into an empty net. And then when McCoy scores the... <coughs> what proved to be the winner. I think the roof was coming off Ibrox that night. But that gave a genuine belief that there was that this was a Rangers side that was capable of not just competing domestically but also um, pushing at European level. Never quite transpired like that, but I think there was a real opportunity that year um, to certainly go semi-finals if no final of the European Cup. Unfortunately, yeah. Terry Butcher's leg break. Jane, um, I was just saying that was that was the big kind of thing. Well, obviously the two 0 two 0 defeat to Stoya in Romania, and then we. Rangers caught back to two one, but it's just that again, just that goal at, at Ibrox. But I, I, I think the if you look at the the goal that Marius Lakatos scores at Ibrox, right the way, right through the heart of the defence in the first couple of minutes, if Terry Butcher's there, um, I don't think that goal happens, mm-hmm. um, and it's a completely different. That did that that killed the tie as much as Rangers come back and scored twice before half time and had opportunities second half. It killed the tie. I, I'm still adamant that the, the significant moment in that season in terms of Rangers being successful was Teddy Butcher break his leg. Mm-hmm. The League Cup, Rangers won it again, a 3-3 draw in normal time with Aberdeen, but they won it 5-3 in penalties. Who was your memories of that day? <laughs> two two stick out. Cooper's free kick, obviously. Um, I don't think many people will see a ball struck harder than, than Cooper did that day. And sort of funny one in that, we spoke to Jimmy Nicholl, um, Jimmy Nicholl, his broad Belfast brogue tells me that um, he's claiming an assist for it uh, because he told you to hit it 
and boy did he hit it, R- rips it into the net. Um, second memory is Durant. Um, he was he was having his challenges. He was he was having a bit of an up and down relationship with Graham at that time. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that day he was world class. He showed what. Then I say it, what might have been a no when he came back for the injury in 92, 93 in particular, he, he started to show shades of his previous form. But uh, say box to box at that time, he was probably the best in the country. And that day he was just absolutely superb. But again, we Rangers get themselves in a position where they're 2 1 up. Aberdeen scored a couple of goals late. Um, but it just showed the battling qualities of that, of that side. They never gave up. They got itself a uh, long ball forward. Graham Roberts gets up. Robert Flett equalises, make it three each. And then, um, as we know from recent experience, Pentland catches the back of a lottery, but um, another another bit of silverware. Um, but fantastic for, for the for the Cooper goal and Durant's performance. A fantastic day and a, the start of three fantastic League Cup finals in a row against Aberdeen as well. Yeah, and- the League Cup becomes Rangers' thing over the next few years, but it's fair to say that the Scottish Cup isn't until kind of I don't assume it's never wins the, the Scottish Cup. But that that Dunfermline exit again, it's another poor exit in the Scottish Cup. What's your kind of memories of that? Uh, John Brown gets sent off. Uh, John Brown, another one who's come in, um, identified by Graham, had been a real thorn on our side when he was with the mm-hmm. D, um, and he added that steel in midfield initially but then showed that versatility to go back to centre-back. He was sent off that day. I think that had an impact. Um, but Graham had never won the FA Cup when he was a Liverpool either. Yeah, there just seemed right. to be something about the that major domestic cup competition. Um, and he just couldn't get past it. Um, obviously, they lost to Hamilton in 86-87. And again, similar circumstances. Dunfermline struggling at the, at the wrong end of the, the Premier Division. But on the day, as happens in cup ties... They played well. Rangers didn't play well. Had a man sent off and ended up out of the competition. Mm-hmm. The one, the kind of two things kind of running in unison here, as you mentioned, obviously Butcher's leg break, and it just has this massive impact on Rangers' form. But as you say, Celtic are in their centenary year, and there's, is mm-hmm. it fair to say, there's a fact that there's a, a determination in Celtic that this is their year? Yeah. Uh, uh, I think Billy McNeil had obviously come in in the summer uh, to take over from Davy Hayes. So the, so they've got their former captain, um, former manager. He'd been he did a previous spell in yeah. the early 80s as manager of Celtic. So that had kicked them on, bringing in guys like Frank McAvaney and Andy Walker. Um, so they they'd they'd strengthened their squad. They'd they'd recognised that um, the Rangers had got a bit of jump on them in 86, 87. Um, and their form was such that um, they ended up 12 points clear. They, and um Hart sitting in second as well. Um, Celtic really did run away with it, but as you said, um, the game at New Year where Chris Woods gets injured mm-hmm. as well. Uh, Graham Roberts having to take over and goal, obviously. The the game earlier on in the season before Teddy got injured, the two each game as well. But these are crucial matches. There's, there's points that in the previous season, you mentioned the game at Parkhead in April. That was the first defeat in April, but by, um, by January... Rangers had lost twice and drawn once with Celtic in the league. Yeah. So that's that's not the type of form that's going to win you championships. And um, those games were key that season. Yeah, absolutely. And obviously it's a third place finish. And 
would was there a was there a fire filled with soonest at this point that this doesn't happen again? That's the the Celtic have had their season and that we kick on from here. I think that's fair to say. I mean, Graham's a winner, so I don't think there was ever he was ever going to take that season and go. Do you know what? Uh, okay, um, we'll we'll sort of sit back and and rest in the laurels and whatever and um, and let Celtic trample over the top again. I don't think that was ever going to happen. Um, and he he moves in the summer of '88 and didn't he say? Do you know what? As I've kind of alluded to, he didn't he purely pin out on Terry Butcher's injury. Mm-hmm. He recognised that there were still gaps in the squad. There were still um, areas of the, the team that he needed to strengthen. Um, and he did that in the summer of 88. And then, obviously, that kicks off, arguably, one of the most successful eras in Rangers history. Yeah, absolutely. And we'll, we'll touch on something that kind of happened around about this time. It's, it kind of becomes clear that kind of Lawrence Mulberry is keen to move on to the kind of... <laughs> he's, he's got stuff going on in Nevada with kind of a property. And I think he was kind of moving into as well, like... Was there a whisper at this point that this maybe be the time where we see a, a change in the kind of ownership? From memory, there was chat about Robert Maxwell coming yeah. in. Um, and fortunately, with the benefit of hindsight, that that didn't gain any traction. But um, I think there was there was a notion at the time that the game of football was changing. Mm-hmm. It was becoming a business. If it, if it hadn't been recognised as a business up to that point, then most certainly come late 80s, early 90s, it was becoming a business and it needed that hand hand on the teller. You mentioned Lawrence Marlborough. He brought in David Holmes because obviously Mr Marlborough was based in, in the United States. Didn't have that day-to-day interaction. It needed that um, Scottish influence, dare I say it. Um, so I think there was, there was rumours, as there always is associated with, with a club at Rangers, there was rumours that boardroom change was afoot. Um, and um, when it did happen, then obviously the the kick on or the knock on effect of that was was huge for Rangers. And was was Murray kind of well known at this point? Like, was he was he a figure in Scottish society? Like, I, I think he's known for his steel business. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think if you've if you've got a bit of um, knowledge of the business section in the paper rather than the sports pages, then you'll know of David Murray. There was chat at that time, obviously, because he was an, he, he was he was going to be taking or he was looking to invest in United, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and that didn't come come to pass. So I think um, David Murray was certainly interested in getting involved in the Scottish game, but no, I don't think out with the business world, many um, Rangers supporters, Celtic supporters, Scottish football supporters would have known much about David Murray, um, but. Some twenty odd years later, then um, I'm pretty sure there's not many supporters of Scottish football. In fact, European football, world football, that don't know who Sir David Murray is. Let's play a wee game of what if. What <laughs> if in the summer of 1988, Robert Maxwell, obviously former MP, former <laughs> Victoria Cross winner, he he, what if he takes over? How how quickly does this bubble burst? Quicker than it did in 2012? I I can only imagine... Well, you want to play the what if. Um, in terms of Graham's volatility and having watched some of the documentaries on, on BBC iPlayer and, and Robert Maxwell, the heads would have bumped and bumped very quickly. Yes. Um, if, if you can 
track the progress that Graham's made. He's becoming player manager in 86. He becomes a shareholder. He becomes a very, very powerful influence, not just in the dressing room and on the park, but also in the boardroom. So I can certainly see that had Robert Maxwell taken over, that relationship would have broken down and broken down very, very quickly to the detriment of, of Rangers Football Club more than anything else. Absolutely, yeah. And we see obviously what happens later on with Robert Maxwell's business empire. It kind of comes tumbling yeah. down and it's you kind of dread to think what would have happened. But mm-hmm. closing up the show, let's let's yeah. kind of reminisce the two years of soon the first two years of soonest. What was what was that excitement like? What was the what was the memories of those first two years like? If, yeah, if I was to give you something that sticks out to you, what was is it the kind of overall buzz at the start? I winning the league, I think, will always stick out given how long it had been. Um, I think prior to that, um, Rangers had gone up 11 years for, uh, from 64 to um, to 75, not winning the title. So nine years, I mean, it's obviously given the recent events and whatever circumstances dictated. It, it took Rangers that long to, to claim 55 and whatever. But at that time, the huge thing, the one thing that sticks out is winning the league in that first year. But just the fact that, and again, I can draw parallels just now, this is probably the first transfer window for a while where there's been genuine excitement among the Rangers supporters as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and at that time, I can draw parallels, as I say, I can draw parallels because you've got Colin West coming in, then you've got Chris Woods coming in, then you've got Teddy Butcher coming in, then you've, got, you've mentioned Richard Goff, you've got Ray Wilkins. These are not journeyman players, these are not just squad players, these are leading lights in not just British football, but probably European football, coveted by the big hitters at that time. But they're only going the big hitters that were coming to Rangers. So as a Rangers supporter at that time, to be able to go and watch that type of talent on a regular basis was huge. And I'll reiterate what I said earlier, I don't think that happens if Graham Soonis isn't the Rangers manager. Yeah. On the next episode of the Rangers journey, we will take a look at the next three years of the Graham Soonis era Ibrox, which coincides with a new owner, David Murray, joining the club in November. We will take a look at that in the next episode. Thank you very much to Alistair for joining me on this week's episode. It's been an absolute pleasure. No bother, Scott. Thank you very much to everyone who's watched and tuned in. Please join us for next week's episode and the next part of the Rangers journey.